Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I am your host, Ken Seymour, with your other host, Richard Geiger. I am the other host, yes. Today we have a fantastic guest to talk with by the name of Emily Reisbeck. Thank you so much for coming on to the show with us today. I'm happy to be here. So we always like to start the same with uh, some of our new guests to kind of get a flavor of who they are and, and what they do. So kind of describe yourself and, and the world that you're bringing to our podcast today. Sure. Um, I'm Emily Riesbeck. I am a non-binary woman who lives in Chicago. I write comic books, uh, hopefully for a living someday, but still, still as a hobby, I suppose. I am the writer of the webcomic The Blue Valkyrie, which is a superhero webcomic about a trans woman with superpowers. Um, I also write It's Your Funeral, which is a graphic novel that's being published by Iron Circus Comics that's coming out next year in 2020. Uh, I've also written a few short comics that have appeared in anthologies such as uh, Chubby, which is an LGBT anthology, and uh, Local Haunts, which is actually on Kickstarter right now. Uh, Local Haunts is really, really cool. It's a um, collection of local ghost stories. So I wrote a, a, story, a short comic uh, with artist Melissa Keperglione of Falconhurst um, about a ghost that is a, a, rather an urban legend from Woodstock, Illinois, which is where I grew up. Um, and that's very cool. You can check it on Kickstarter, Local Haunts Anthology. It's going to be amazing. Uh, I'm also a podcaster. I am a cast member on the podcast Roll Dice and Cry, which is an actual play podcast. I play I play the character of um, Zara Fontaine, a bunny rabbit inventor in the first season. And in the second season, I play Marge Devlin, the ex-mafia 76-year-old werewolf. <laughs> I like the combinations. I really do, too. <laughs> well, I figured I had to go, you know, I did someone like nerdy and like shy for season one. So I had to go like the most aggressive, angry person I possibly could think of for season two. I, I think we know quite a few of those. <laughs> yeah, we're down. <laughs> so now, one of the things that I when I, I always try and do a little bit of uh, research uh, in any in any way I can, and it kind of leads to some interesting things. We were we were talking to uh, to uh, Thomas Nicholas here, uh, or at least I was here uh, a couple of weeks ago, and did my research and found a couple of pieces of information that were false, uh, like he was on a football team that went to the championship that never happened, things like that. But sometimes it just uncovers little nuggets and interesting turns in the history of the people we deal with. That's a very long intro for me to kind of say, you went to Marquette University for journalism. How did, that, did. How did that transition from kind of doing that into the interest that you have now? Well, I, um, I'm pretty critical of journalism in general. I, I, it was something that I thought I wanted to do when I was in college. And I, I did work as a journalist for a few years early when, after I graduated, but it really like, unfortunately, I'm one of those people who went to school for something that definitely is not for me. I only really found out after I went to school. Um, obviously that, you know, the, the skills I learned, you know, learning journalism were applicable to a wide variety of, you know, other jobs. Uh, one of those is not uh, writing comic books, which is something I sort of just fell into. I, you know, I've always liked superheroes, especially, and and in a sense, I've always liked comic books. But I got really into comic books. Uh, I think in about two thousand, early two thousand thirteen, late two thousand twelve, it was sort of on a lark. Um, my friend said, "Hey, this comic shop opened up in our hometown. You want to go visit?" I said, "Sure, why not?" I ended up going there. It was a place called Bipolar Comics. Um, 
in Algonquin, Illinois. At the time, they closed down since then, but the the person who ran that uh, comic shop was just very enthusiastic and very welcoming. And at least, he at least half the time, right? Me. What was that? He, at least half the time, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, he, he sort of engendered in me a love of, like, comic books. And, and that's when I started thinking to myself, like, hey, you know, I, I'm re- I can read these. Like, I'm, I'm a pretty good writer. I could probably write these. I had been wanted, wanting to be a fiction writer for a long, long time. And I wrote some short stories while I was in college. And I always had this vision that I would write the next great American novel or something like that. But it wasn't until I started writing comic books that I realized that I could also enjoy writing, like have fun doing it. Um, and here's a fun fact. Being excited about what you're writing is very, very important to being a good writer. So when, when I started writing comic books, I started actually getting excited about like what I was doing and excited about writing and excited about creating. And that's sort of, you know, it's been a long, long road to get where I am. I think I'm finally starting to like get a foot in the door as a, you know, as an author, as a creator. And, um, you know, I, I can't wait for everybody to see, you know, what I'm going to do because it's, it's going to be pretty awesome. So you um, are from the Chicago area. You went to Marquette, which is obviously mm-hmm. a little north of there. Um, kind of stuck around that area. So what what influence does kind of the, the you know the good old fashioned Midwest, Chicago, and that whole area have on your writing? Well, there. That's that's sometimes hard to say. I grew up in in northern Illinois, which is. It's it's very much like I'm from quote unquote Chicago, but everybody who's from Chicago would say that I'm not. But nobody knows what McHenry, Illinois is, and the only reason people know about Woodstock, Illinois, is because they've seen Groundhog Day and that was filmed there. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, everybody nods their heads and laughs when I say that. But when I say when I talk about Orson Welles or Chester Gold, they don't they don't know about that. But um, so I, in a sense, the where I grew up is a very much like suburbanite. Midwestern town. I'm, I think that in a lot of ways, my upbringing in sort of like the culture I was raised in did engender in me a love of, I think that, that, that a lot of people who have talked about the movie Fargo called it Midwest nice and like this strange, but also very almost cold politeness that people from the Midwest can sometimes have. And I'm, I'm very fascinated, I think, in general with the mundane. I, I love some of my favorite stories are not just stories about like fantastic worlds or fantastic situations, but the ways in which mundane lives interact with those. Um, even, even if you're living in a very like exciting, fantastic place, it's, it's probably likely that your day-to-day life is pretty monotonous. People tend to do the same things every day, um, unless they live in times or places of extreme and unprecedented upheaval. Uh, and I've always sort of been fascinated by the ability of people to sort of, I suppose, adapt to anything and to have anything, no matter how fantastical or strange it might seem to us, just be commonplace and normal. And so I think that's something that comes out in my work a lot. And I definitely do feel that that has been in part, um, reinforced by my upbringing with this sort of Midwestern, we bury our feelings down deep, we don't talk about things, and we <laughs> pretend to be nice. Put on a good face, yeah. Uh, exactly. And, and, and then we say that dancing is illegal. Uh, I think that's mm-hmm. in there somewhere. Mm. 
But uh, and then some guy comes and, and and starts dancing and ruins everything. That's right. Our, that's right. Nice little town. We had no problems until this guy showed up. And forevermore, we will constantly try and link other people to that person within seven steps. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> maybe three if you're really good. Maybe right? three if you're really good. Yeah, I, I I don't know. That is still one of my favorite games to play. The uh, the uh, six degrees or seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, and I, I like to. Uh, find out exactly how little I know about movies by not being able to link what I know should be much easier than this. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm so terrible at actors' names and movie names that for me, like, you pretty much got, it's pretty much got to go to Hollow Man. And if I can get it to Hollow Man, I got you there because I know Kevin Bacon's <laughs> in that one. But beyond that, uh, oh, he's in F- F- Footloose, yeah. Yeah, he, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, a few good men, and uh, she's having a baby. I I can usually link, like, within that, but you start getting a little farther out, and I'm done. Was he in Roadhouse, or am I out of my mind? That one would be Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we tend to overly, overly calculate on the the movie trivia here, so I, 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 at times, I, I feel like I'm two people. At one point, I will, I will talk about trivia that nobody has any clue about. And then the next moment, I cannot remember the first name of my favorite actor. It's just just gone. Mm. Uh, I feel you on that one. But so you were saying a little bit that you've been into comics for a while. Um, who are some of your favorite uh, titles and characters, either now or in the past? When I was growing up, I wasn't so much into the physical comics, but I was into a lot of comics-related properties, specifically uh, Batman and Superman, Wonder Woman, the DC comics I was a, I was a huge fan of. Um, my favorite show growing up was uh, the Justice League show, the cartoon show, which is uh, nice. very, very fantastic show, in my opinion, still holds up. I, I and, and my favorite character from that was Hawkgirl. I looked up to her. I wanted to be her. I wanted to date her. Uh, I had a crush on her. Everything under the sun. And it was all Hawkgirl for me. I have actually have a Hawkgirl tattoo on my back uh, from that show. That's my one comics-related uh, tattoo. Um, favorite comics of all time. I'm actually really excited that I get to talk about favorite comics of all time because I think I have a new one as of last night. Ooh. I, finished, uh, I finished On a Sunbeam by Tilly Walden last night, and it was... It was incredible. I think a masterpiece is is no. I choose that word carefully when I say masterpiece. By uh, that's on a sunbeam by Tilly Walden. I'm not familiar and, uh, with that one. I think that it's finally uh, something has finally beaten Bone by Jeff Smith, which was oh, my yeah. go-to saying for before that. Before last night was Bone. I think now it's on a sunbeam. Yeah, Bone's fantastic. I haven't I haven't uh, I haven't tried Sunbeam. Uh, what uh, what brought it? What what made it kind of resonate with you? Oh boy. Um, I feel like Tilly Walden, especially in On a Sunbeam, in, in On a Sunbeam, On a Sunbeam is amazing at at creating this this very rich and detailed science fiction world that is both like very well explained, but also entirely understated. Like th- there's so much about the setting of that book that just sort of is. It's never fully explained or touched upon. It just is has, it is as it is, and it feels very rich and lived in. The characters are very, they feel very natural and realistic. Um, and I, for the last, like, I, I think 200 pages, the, 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 the style of its writing and its art is just so perfectly, uh, you know, written and pre- presented 
that I literally, I just, I could not put it down, first of all. And there was about a hundred page stretch where I was, I was, I'm not joking. I was afraid that I would cry every single time I turned the page because something would happen that would just, well, I, I verbally gasped at one, one page of this book, multiple pages of this book. I cannot recommend it enough. It's honestly fantastic. I know no one else needs, no one needs me to say that, of course. Like everybody knows it's amazing. Everyone knows Tilly Walden is the best and is the future of comics, but I'm just saying it. I'm getting out there and saying it, shooting that very, very, very easy three-pointer. Well, you know, it's it's, it's good for guys like uh, us. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Richard here has some experience in the comic books, and I've had quite a bit more, but, you know, being uh, old and out of touch, <laughs> it, <laughs> it becomes easy to lose track of some of the really neat stuff that, uh, that I just... Didn't didn't have any clue was out there like Saga. I just I didn't know, so I had to had to be shown how good that was. I never read Saga. Yes, it's there. There's so much now. There's just so many good titles. It's it's. I need at least three or four more of me to to parse into any of it. I know about the Justice League cartoon. Yes, yes, you do. I know that's one thing that you go on about pretty regularly. Well, that's because that's a great show. Yeah, it's that's a great show. It is. It is a great show. Um, so, um, you were talking a little bit about. Uh, well, I mean, we we brought up uh, Blue Valkyrie specifically, mm-hmm. staying on the comic book theme. Tell uh, tell our listeners a little bit about. The, the, the feeling of the world and the general idea of what they might expect if they opened up your book. Sure. So The Blue Valkyrie is quite a bit different than a lot of other superhero books out there. Um, it's, it's very, I would say, down to earth is the word I would describe it. I might even argue that it's a sort of a deconstruction of the superhero genre, although I, I personally don't like calling it that. I think it, some people could make the argument, and I think you could make a lot of valid points to the argument where I might say, yeah, sure, okay, it's a reconstruction. But personally, I'm not... I, you know, we've had, we've had, you know, Watchmen, we've had, like, The Dark Knight Returns deconstructions that are very, very, uh, for better or worse, very, very much uh, ingrained in people's sort of understanding of the superhero. Um, but... But uh, what I wanted to do with the Blue Valkyrie was really like take it, take it to a very personal uh, level and and sort of uh, do what I felt is a really contemporary superhero story. Um, it, a lot of it comes from my opinions, even as someone who both loves superheroes but also like recognizes what I see as like flaws in the mythos of the superhero. Um, for example, the idea that an individual can or should have the power to change such a phenomenal, such you know, phenomenal aspects of society as you know, someone like Superman or Batman is able to. Hmm. Um, even even a character like Batman who doesn't have any quote unquote superpowers, although he has his his gadgets and his wealth that sort of create a superpower all themselves. Um, I think that we live in an era of, you know, we live in a surveillance age. What does that mean for the idea of a secret identity? Can anyone really have a secret identity in a uh, in an era where everything you do, every part of you is sort of tracked, whether voluntarily or not, you know, through online activity, through 
surveillance and things like that. What does it mean for a superhero to really be queer? And I know there have been queer superheroes before, and there certainly have been superheroes that were queer or transgender written by queer and transgender people. So I don't, I don't purport to be the first or only voice in that aspect, but I do think that it's an interesting perspective to look at a superhero from. Again, using the secret identity as a fact, what does it mean to have a secret identity when you're somebody who's already used to sort of concealing a part of yourself, whether that's through just being someone who is either visibly or not visibly queer or being somebody who, you know, may face threat of violence or harassment if people and a random person on the street who you don't know may, you know, understand something about you. And then what does it mean for that person or that individual to have power, to have a real power, a power that someone in real life wouldn't have to change and to shape the world as they see fit? Do they have the right to? There's often a lot of debate, at least in the mainstream comics, about how that particular topic is handled. How much of a highlight should it be? Should it be a focus? Should it be something that is more handled incidentally because, you know, everybody is just people. So how much how much should that be placed on it? And it sometimes feels like it's been a little, at least on, on some of the mainstream books, a little inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's that's I'd certainly agree with that. Even portrayals that I would think are generally good. I mean, what comes to mind is Gail Simone's run of Batgirl. Uh, she had a transgender roommate. That was actually like it was it was it was quite a big moment. And I, I as someone who, you know, um, I, I, I as someone who identified as trans woman for a number of years, that was you know kind of important to me. But at the same time, while that was also a very good portrayal, I think what it comes down to is that there's a difference between a queer character created by and from a queer perspective than a straight one. And that doesn't mean that straight people can't write queer characters or can't make very good queer characters, but there's always going to be that difference. And I think that a lot of people, especially queer people, can tell Mm. when something is authentic or not. Yeah, probably quite a bit of nuance that would get lost in translation. I will. I, I want to speak just really quickly because the question comes up a lot. I think from from people who are like interested in writing queer characters of like, how do I write a queer character? Oh, and and the the answer sometimes tends to be, well, you know, that should just be an aspect of them. That's not the whole of who they are, and that's that's fair. But also, like, keep in mind when you're dealing. One advice, little piece of advice I like to give people is that when you're dealing with characters who suffer from oppression in one form or another, for example, a queer character, it's important to note that while that is just one aspect of who they are, that's also an aspect that's going to color their worldview a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think that that word worldview, approaching it from that angle, is is very helpful in creating a, a fully fleshed out character. Yeah, that really should be a focus, no matter what kind of a character that you're doing, because without a, a a realistic worldview, then the reactions that the character are going to have in in their environment aren't going to seem real. Oh, certainly, yeah. But if if you're writing, it doesn't matter if you're writing like a, a a you know poor or lower class queer character, like the characters in the Blue Valkyrie, or if you're writing Bruce Wayne, their upbringing, their beliefs, all this is wrapped up into what you could call a worldview, and that's going to influence all their choices. And it can change over time, of course, but, uh, but having that starting point, I think, is, is, is very important. Hey, Pudding People. Just a heads up. Our Patreon account is now alive and kicking. We're really asking for a little bit of help from everybody here. If it's possible to throw down just 
a measly dollar a month. That helps us a lot to keep this podcast going. Uh, our Patreon account is at www.patreon.com slash guys. if you want to check it out. If you are willing to throw down the dollar, that is awesome. If you can recommend or send this information out to your friends or other folks that might listen to our podcast, that would be even more awesome. Thank you. Now let's get back to Emily. Do you have any current or like uh, modern influences that you read that you read now or have read that are kind of helping to reinforce how you're writing for your characters? Oh boy, um, Tilly Walton. <laughs> I mean, uh, her again definitely has been a big influence on me. Gail Simone, I mentioned her already. She's a huge influence on me, and I also mentioned Bone by Jeff Smith, another another big influence. I think other other cases, I, I I like a lot of manga, and I think that definitely has an influence on me. I did. I grew up in you know the era of anime. You know, Dragon Ball Z was on for me when I was a kid, so. That's obviously affected me a lot. And one of my favorite or one of my biggest, I think, influences from manga and anime is Naoki Urasawa, who does who's who's the uh, creator of the manga Monster, if you've heard mm-hmm. of it. It's Absolutely. a very, very phenomenal uh, manga. Uh, also, 20th Century Boys, uh, another really good one. I, I feel like 20th Century Boys in particular resonated with me because it, it sort of delved into a lot of the things that I'm really fascinated by as well that I talked about before, which is sort of like the mixture of the mundane and the fantastic, uh, where in 20th Century Boys, of course, the these children who had this club growing up, this little like, you know, this just this quote unquote gang or club or whatever you want to call it, um, grew up to find that one of the members of their uh, little organization had taken the quote unquote doctrine of their little kids club and made it into a, a cult. <laughs> Now, if you like meta, uh, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a friend that keeps me apprised and up to date with a lot of the, the, the anime stuff that goes on. And my favorite thing that he introduced me to is still the anime Genshiken. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to see it. but I've never heard of it, actually. It is an anime about a club of individuals that like anime. Oh, I think, you know, I think, I think, uh, my girlfriend was watching this at one point, but I never watched it. It's, it's familiar. It's real silly. And, you know, it's nice and light. If you talking about wanting to have a, a mental, uh, relaxation from the day, that is a fantastic uh, thing to watch. And it's just, it's a joy every time. Oh, uh, more influences. Hunter and Hunter. Great, great, great manga. Hunter Hunter. Nice. Um, pardon me. So, how how do you um, how do you bridge the difference in writing? I mean, because you talked about doing Blue Valkyrie, but you've got also got the uh, uh, It's Your Funeral that mm-hmm. you work on. What are the the differences when you approach the 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 not just the different um, the different tones, but the different interface that you're going to be producing for? Oh boy. Um, I- I, I feel like I'm pretty comfortable stepping in all sorts of um, stories, all sorts of like modes of writing. Um, well, I say that I definitely have a distinctive style, I think, that's at least starting to come through in my writing. But 
But for example, I mean, the Blue Valkyrie is sometimes a little comedic, but mostly quite serious, very like drama focused and relationship focused and more adult leaning. Whereas It's Your Funeral, uh, which I'll just give a little intro for. It's Your Funeral is very excited about it. It's going to be an amazing book. Uh, I'm writing it. Ellen Kramer, who's the webcomic artist of uh, Parisa, which is a great webcomic on Hiveworks. Um, and Matt Crotzer is the letterer. Uh, and it's coming out from Iron Circus Comics. It's about a young woman who dies in a freak accident and finds out that the afterlife, or at least, you know, poltergeists or spirits, are um, sort of managed by this interdimensional bureaucracy called the Department of Spectral Affairs, and that she'll have to intern for them in her afterlife in order to sort of pass on to the other side. Mm -hmm. It's an office comedy meets a supernatural-like adventure. Um, It's going to be very funny. It should make you laugh. It might make you cry. Watch out. We'll hope so. I, it sounds much better than RAPD. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> I always, I always sort of pitch it as uh, as Parks and Recreation meets Beetlejuice. So, well, I, I had always wanted. Now you mentioned that with Beetlejuice, I had always wanted to see something in that vein because the whole concept of the dead people in the office that oh yeah, it's fantastic. That resonates just a little bit. <laughs> So I, I don't really know if I have an answer for like how I bridge the difference. I, I definitely just see them as different projects and I approach them with a different like mindset. I don't really uh, – and especially it helps that by the time I started writing It's Your Funeral, I had been writing The Blue Valkyrie for a number of years already. So for me, stepping back into The, the Blue Valkyrie in that mode is really just like getting reacquainted with or coming back to a story I already know really intimately – um, and while It's Your Funeral was sort of the next step in, in my career, it's my debut graphic novel. Um, and it's certainly, you know, my writing on that, which is a lot more like lighthearted. First of all, it's a young adult book, so it's for teenagers. Um, and it's comedic and, and it's more more comedy focused. Uh, but, but with an emotional bent, I think all my books are inevitably going to have that. I think I heard a quote. I don't remember who it was from or, or where it was from, but. Somebody somewhere at some point said to me um, that every piece of art should try to capture something human or something about that to say something about the human experience. And I've really carried that throughout a lot of my writing. Um, so, so there's always going to be a little bit of emotion in heart, never purely comedic or action for me. But since writing It's Your Funeral, my future projects, which I cannot talk about, I apologize. I really, really desperately want to, but I cannot. Um, have all been more kid focused because I've sort of I feel found my niche niche since then, since writing uh, mostly the Blue Valkyrie, which is more adult focused, but obviously I think could be good for you know late teens. Um, and now now the things I'm writing, including It's Your Funeral, are much more young adult focused. So I, I do think it was just an entirely different mode, and uh, and I just sort of step into it when I start writing the book. So you were at the uh, NWI Comic Con, and we've talked mm-hmm. to a, a couple folks uh, recently who were, you know, at the same location. Uh, have you was uh, are you going to others? Have you been to others? Are your is your plan to go to more uh, those type of Comic Cons uh, in the future? I I liked NWI. Um, it was it was a bit hard to justify economically. I, I basically like made enough money to justify going, and that's about it, which is a bit of a shame. Um, I was at C2E2 last weekend on the Iron Circus panel talking about this year's funeral, uh, and I'll probably be doing a lot more uh, things in, in 
relation to Iron Circus moving forward as um, as that book you know approaches release next year. I'm going to be at Chicago Zine Fest uh, in May. I think. If that's when Chicago Zine Fest is, I can't recall right Sounds the second. Right. Um, I, I might be at cake. I, I not, I didn't get into cake, but, uh, if, if I'm on the wait list, so if they say yes, I'll be at cake. Cake was a great show for me last year. So I'll try to go again. I also just in general, I think cake is a very good show. Chicago alternate comics expo. It's free. It's a couple days. It's quite fun. I don't believe you. In Chicago, you? I, I think, I think the cake is a lie. Oh, uh, I see. <laughs> Sorry, I, I couldn't help myself. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if you get to know me for an extended period of time, bad jokes are pretty much all I have. So, bad, bad jokes and dad jokes. Bad yeah. jokes and dad jokes. That's yep. right. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, uh, Chicago Zine Fest is the only other con I have planned right now. Obviously, I'll try to get to more if I can. What did you think of C two E two? Did you have fun? I oh god. Um, yes, I had fun. I I, I was only on the C, uh, Iron Circus panel. Um, and that went fantastically. Uh, everything going up to that point was a disaster. I did, in fact, cry in the car because I thought I wasn't going to make it because I was looking for parking for an hour and a half. I did find parking. I did I did literally sprint to my panel. I did make it in time. And I, you know what? I even had time to go to the bathroom and splash some water in my face so no one could tell I had been crying. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you know you've made it. Yeah, this is this is something that we we've just started uh, an associated blog to go with the the uh, other stuff that we're doing, uh, focusing specifically on conventions and advice for going to conventions and what some of the conventions are like and what to expect. And yeah, that that was one of the first things that I brought up is. Uh, Make sure you have a room that is near to the convention center. Make sure that you've done your parking uh, ahead of time. Get the overnight parking. You just kind of have it all ahead of time. I gave myself an hour and a half to find parking. (laughs) I feel like at this point it's Rahm Emanuel's fault. You know, it could be. But I empathize with you. I've had that exact same pain. It's like I had that moment, never again. You know, just uh, yeah. I'll take a train next time. <laughs> the train's easy to get to, especially where you're at. So, yeah. trains everywhere. I wish we had more of those trains around here. Okay, so I like to ask the uh, nonsense questions, right? So I've asked the last three, the, the last two interviews we we've done have been people who are all in that area, and I like to ask about pizza. It has no no bearing, but I feel like it's a good subject matter. So um, you're in a you're in a hot spot for pizza in the country. So tell me a little bit about your your favorites or your favorite location. That like little bits of info. So I have two partners. I live with them. They are both from New York City. So mm. pizza is a contentious topic in our household. I like deep dish. I think it's fine. And it is pizza. I'm just going to throw that out there for everybody who says it's not pizza. It is pizza. It's just not your pizza, but it's fine. It's a sometimes food. My favorite pizza is got to be the pizza I get the most, which is uh, Joe's Pizza from Jefferson Park. Mm. It's a thin crust pizza, really more a New York style, but that's okay with me because I like it a lot. Well, even like so that like I feel like the the New York style pizza doesn't have like the 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 thin crust that's like the crispy thin crust, right? Yes, like there, that's very true. There, there, there is a there is a difference. There's, so there's a slight difference. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like a nice distinct 
I, I think there's like I don't know what you'd call that crispy thin crust. Is that we call it Chicago style thin crust? Chicago style mm-hmm. thin crust. Mm-hmm. There we go. Yeah, yeah I, I, I like I do like the idea of being able to roll up my pizza into just kind of a, <laughs> in a weird enchilada pizza enchilada. That's nice, but a uh, good deep dish. I I love a good deep dish. Oh, for sure. But it's it's a, I'll admit, it's a sometimes pizza. It's yeah. not like a, hey, do you want to order pizza pizza? It's, do you want to order deep dish pizza? Yeah. And, and eat one piece of it. Do you have any oh, intention of actually piece. getting up and doing anything after we eat? Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, so you said you're part of a, a podcast all, uh, also, the Roll, yes. Roll Dice and Cry podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I've noticed a prevalence of uh, some very specialized podcasts. A friend of mine does a gaming podcast called Gaming with Scott. It's kind of a, uh, I don't know if this is similar to what you're doing, but again, just playing games and broadcasting the games as they're being played. It seems to be very, very popular. It's almost like you're um, a fly on the wall as, as, as it's happening. It gives you a kind of a different feel. Is that, is that kind of what it, it's like for what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's an actual play podcast, so it's it's literally just a recording of our tabletop campaign. Our first season was done in Dungeon World. Uh, it was uh, it's called On the Shoulders of Giants. It's uh, I, well, I think at this point it's okay to spoil. It's a fantasy mecha campaign, so we're all you know fantasy characters who do have we do have giant robots. Yes, I mean, you can't see, but I'm like gesturing behind me as though they're the giant robot. Um, our, yeah, and uh, it's a fantasy campaign. It's a bit different than other fantasy, though. Um, our second season, we're playing a game called Blades in the Dark, which I'm pretty excited about. I, I like the system a lot. It's fun. Uh, we're playing as detectives in a sort of alternate history version of Las Vegas. Oh, very nice. <laughs> so what drew you to that kind uh, of a podcast? Uh, is it just kind of the boisterous nature of your particular group of gamers that kind of come off really well? It's like, oh, we're kind of like telling a story and, and writing a book uh, verbally as we go, or is it, or was it just kind of a lark? How did you decide that this was something that yeah, people are going to want to hear this? Well, um, I, I, I can't really answer that because I was uh, sort of conscripted. Uh, uh, I, was, I was asked, hey, do you want to be on the podcast? And I said, sure. I've, I've been a tabletop gamer for probably going on, what, 11 years now since I started college. Um, I've always been a huge fan of tabletop role-playing games. And uh, I, I just uh, I, had, I was in a lot of them a few years ago. And one of the people who... Uh, I ran a campaign with. We were sort of all. It was it was a it was a campaign of a game called Masks, which is a superhero a teenage superhero RPG, which is also a fantastic game. I think everybody should play. It's called Masks: A New Generation. You play as teenage superheroes, uh, sort of like you know the event, not the Avengers, um, sort of like Young Justice or um, like Runaways and whatnot. Great, great game. And uh, this this uh, one of my fellow players, Zach, who's the GM of Roll Dice and Cry, was basically like, "Hey, I I want to do a podcast." Um, do you want to be in it? And I said, hell yeah, I want to play more tabletop role-playing games and record it. And then I get to sort of satisfy my love of tabletop role-playing and also my love of hearing my own voice. <laughs> and I get to do silly voices for it too. So that's, uh, that's, that's always good. Well, that, that's definitely good. I was concerned for a moment when you said mask. I thought it was either going to be a bunch of people in cars that turn into other vehicles or possibly everybody was children of bikers with bone deformities. So it, it went in a much better direction than my brain immediately cast for me. <laughs> was, that, was that the podcast that you do internationally? 
Are you talking to me? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yes, yes. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I thought I, I was looking at the video and you like looked at. Uh, <laughs> oh no no. So <laughs> we have yes. nothing else to look at. Yeah, there's yeah. We're, yeah, the podcast is uh, me, Zachary Fredrickson, who's the GM. He's out of uh, Arizona. Nikita, a friend of ours, is out of uh, uh, California. Mary Costa is on it. She's out of. Uh, She's from Brazil, but I believe she's out of Denmark right now. And then Sloan is from Australia. So we really run the gambit of the world. And now how – you said it was by invites, but how, how did you, you know, come to be part of this group, which is really, you know, multiple continents, multiple time zones, mm-hmm. to be able to do this singular podcast? Uh, Zach was really the glue with everybody. Um, well, yeah, mostly Zach because Zach was – running a campaign with Mari in it. Um, I have no idea how they started running a campaign together. I believe we were, they were both on the same like discord, you know, it was a discord. We were all on for tabletop role-playing games. Uh, Zach and Mari were on a campaign. Sloan knew Mari and Mari brought Sloan in. And then they, they were the first that had the idea of doing the podcast together. And then Nikita and I were both in that masks game with Zach. And then since we like, we both enjoyed playing with each other so much and we were both, you know, I think at least Zach had the idea that we were generally good role players. I, I, I tend to agree, but I tend to oversell myself maybe a little bit. Um, and then that's pretty much how it happened. He just sort of brought it together. And eventually we had enough people to make a podcast out of it. And eventually we started recording. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed playing with him. So it's, it's really fun to be able to, you know, just have a fun game with some friends while also, again, uh, indulging my vanity. <laughs> Well, you know, we, we all have to be able to do that in one way, shape, or form. It, 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 uh, otherwise, things would be kind of boring, right? Oh, absolutely. So, okay. So, I was going to also ask, since you are a role-playing kind of individual, what is your favorite system that you've run? I've always been kind of a, a White Wolf fan myself. My co-host has not really ever played a role-playing game. But uh, what what kind of has been the most fun that you've had or what you've identified with the most? Let's see. Uh, my favorite role-playing game is probably still Masks, as I said. Masks is a game where you play teenage superheroes. It's very much about like coming of age and like questioning your place in the world or, or questioning people's like opinions of your place in the world. The mechanics of the game really reinforce its themes very, very well. Um, I love that one. I recommend it to everybody. I am a big fan of a game called Monster Hearts, which is another game where you're supposed to play as teens or young adults. Um, that one is a more like queer focused romance focused game where you play as uh, monsters. So I play a werewolf in that game. I play a lot of werewolves in a lot of different tabletop games. So, um, well, you should try I, werewolf. I mean, that is a solid <laughs> yeah, game. I guess, right. I should try the werewolf game since <laughs> I play so many damn werewolves. Um, I'm, I recently became a convert to the church of burning wheel. Burning wheel is wild. And, uh, it's it's really cool to see a game like that, which is, I think, similarly re, really reinforcing its themes with its mechanics. And also, it's what's exciting about Burning Wheel is that it's so easy to see, like, I could play a game where everybody plays bakers and, like, lawyers. <laughs> and, and you could, you could so, just as easily do that as play, you know, epic fantasy characters in Burning Wheel. Um, what else? I recently played a game called Honey Heist. It's a one-page RPG. I ran it. I was the GM. Um, it's a one-page RPG where all the players play as bears trying to steal honey. Um, and it's hysterical and really, really enjoyable. 
Um, oh, I, I like D and D. I haven't played it in a while. Um, I think that I, a lot, in a lot of sense, I feel like I've evolved. Sort of, my tastes have evolved beyond D and D. Not that D and D is bad, just that it isn't the perfect game for me. But obviously, I have a lot of experience playing D and D, and it's always got a special place in my heart. Yeah. I also tend to like Deadlands, but I might just like my character in Deadlands. <laughs> Deadlands is an interesting game system, and it's has Deadlands. It, it's got so many things that sprouted off uh, card games mm-hmm. and board games and video games, even if I remember correctly. Uh, it, yeah, that's that's a kind of an interesting system. Um, it's it's very very fun when you know what you're doing, but it's there's a lot of, a little it's a little too many dice in my opinion. Yeah, you have, to, you have to roll four separate distinct dice with four distinct rules to shoot somebody. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it, the the more complex it gets, the the, the farther you get. It's away. a cowboy game, and you have to roll four times to shoot somebody. <laughs> well, then you should roll six times. You know, six oh. shots. You know. <laughs> do you, if you get all the same, do you yell Yahtzee? Yahtzee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I I've played one role playing game. Now, it wasn't a role-playing game, and it was on an Xbox, but it was still a role-playing game. And, you know, the, the, the genre has managed to follow uh, technology as it's gone around. It still kind of counts. I mean, you're, you're playing a character. It's a little more, I don't know, the static's not the right word, but you have less control uh, uh, sure. of what you're doing. But it, it still counts. I was just thinking of your Hunter the Reckoning. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, uh, they made a... Uh, uh, I don't know if I call that video game a role playing. <laughs> no, game. That's not a role playing game at all. Not no. really. No. It was like a it was like a Diablo. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, it was the if you went with the vampire, they had bloodlines. That was a role playing video game mm. based off of it. But yeah. Uh, yeah, you can't you can't really see it. Hey, we should we should uh, we should move the uh, camera just a little over in in the background as I'm about to knock over. I don't know if you can see it. The the bookcase uh, full of White Wolf is, is, is all that's on there. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that tended to be my obsession for, like, ever. But, I think uh, I played I think I think played Vampire the Masquerade once. I, I never liked it, and it's not fair to Vampire the Masquerade, but it's entirely because I think I sat down, I was told the rules, I rolled like 14 dice, and somebody said, you failed. And I said, how can I have failed? I rolled 14 <laughs> dice. <laughs> if you roll that many dice, you should succeed. <laughs> yeah, that, that does seem counterintuitive in some ways. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. what, was there a werewolf in that game? That, that's the problem. That's really the reason that it didn't work. There was no werewolf. There you go. I, that's I, what I it was. Have, I should have done that werewolf game. Yeah, too good. Well... Let's. Uh, we're coming to the end. Uh, you know, like I was saying with uh, Mr. Uh, Marcus and Nasso, pre, uh, to the point where I think we're going to start testing the, the the attention span of <laughs> our listeners. Listeners. Um, so, in in an attempt to kind of wind things down, I know you say you uh, can't talk about a lot of uh, your projects that you have mm-hmm. coming up. But if there's anything that you want to plug or anything that you really want to make sure that we cover, this is the this is the point that we want to make sure to get that information out there. Well, let's see. Uh, yeah, read my webcomic, The Blue Valkyrie. It updates. It's free. So there you go. Um, you can check out an eight-page preview uh, of It's Your Funeral on my website, emilyrespect.com. 
Uh, it's sort of like a pilot comic we did. Uh, it's not directly related to the main plot, but it should give you a sense of the characters and like what the kind of style of it's going to be. You can also check out some short comics I've done, like Howling Night, which is a kid's comic about werewolves. Wow. Mm-hmm. Really branching out that one. Um, it's a kid's comic about werewolves. It's also sort of an allegory about like fitting in and you know growing up queer. Um, and that's on my website too at emilyrespect.com. You can follow me at the Blue Valkyrie on Twitter. Roll Dice and Cry is also free. It's released bi-weekly and it's very, very fun. Check it out. And buy my book in 2020. I think that sounds like a... From Iron Circus Comics. That, that's, that's good <laughs> advice right there. Yes. Everybody that comes on our show, anybody that listens, you, you, you got you to gotta support these, these artists because they're, they're the ones that are putting out the next wave of really cool stuff that's coming out. Thank you. <laughs> um, so uh, we want to thank you very much for being on the show and taking the time to talk to us. And oh, thank you for having me. It was a blast. It's been very, very fun, and hopefully we'll be able to talk again later once you've uh, had some more uh, some more exposure to some of your projects, and we'll we'll talk about how awesomely successful it was and what your next ventures are going to be making that big money and got like 15 books out you know that <laughs> God, i hope so someday uh thank you again thank you thank you